probably know Tucker as like the original frat guy from I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. I know Tucker because I took his memoir writing course via his company Scribe, which really got me on the path to start writing about my story. This was almost two years ago when I was at the tail end of my 11 year stint in New York City. Fast forward two years, Tucker has been integral in introducing me to the person that has been the most helpful in holding space for me in my psychedelic assisted journey in Austin. Tucker and I reconvene this episode to talk all things, you guessed it, psychedelic assisted therapy, the growth trajectory we've both been on, relationships, healing, how we relate to others and ourselves uh, through this entire journey called life. I think that you'll enjoy this. Tucker is definitely uh, one of the most well-spoken, well-read, well-researched, and well-shared humans in this psychedelic uh, space that is just coming to fruition more and more publicly every day. Check it out. All right, let's go. Uh, Tucker Max is my guest today. Uh, you probably know Tucker Max's name from his, I think it, it was your first book. I hope they serve beer in hell. Yeah. Yes, book, um, yeah. <laughs> like bro culture to um, starting a writing company, which I had the privilege of taking a course and learning directly from you, um, which sort of started my memoir writing journey. And then now being, I, I don't really like this word psychonaut, but you're kind of a psychonaut. You know, actually not, because I would call a psychonaut is someone like Terrence McKenna, who is interested in using psychedelics for enlightenment or mind expansion or like, that's their goal. I have been more of a therapy patient, right? Mm -hmm. Like I use psychedelics, at least so far. My primary intention has always been to use psychedelics for healing, healing trauma specifically. And I've gotten, you know, a lot of uh, mind expansion as well. Um, but like the, the, I, I was lucky enough to have some really good mentors early on. And they all told me, listen, if you try and do this psychonaut journey before you've dealt with your trauma, it's just going to be really dark and right. hard. And I'd listened to them. I was wise enough, thankfully to listen. And, uh, it's, it's crazy. Olivia. I remember the first time I did mushrooms, which was years ago. Um, it was uh you know i did it medicinally with a guide and everything and it was so dark and so hard and so physically painful and i just had a mushroom session like two weeks ago again with a guide and everything and it was so light and flowing and beautiful and uh like i was thinking about that because i used to think man like i don't really like mushrooms they're so difficult and they're so dark i i, I don't necessarily think that mushrooms are that specifically it's just if you have a lot of trauma that's what comes up right and so um i get why you said psychonaut but uh i i don't think i am i'm i i my every and i've done a lot maybe 20 25 psychedelic healing sessions over the last like four years mm -hmm. all of them have been with the intention of healing not with the intent now nothing wrong with either one just i've been doing it to kind of get past my shit you know yeah. i mean i think also that's why I was probably like so inspired by you and 
wanted to learn from you because that's been my experience completely. So like, yeah. like straight into, I'd never done a drug before besides like smoke some weed. Me yeah. Never. And I think never. I remember hearing that and it was like, also ironic considering like you started in this whole bro culture and you would just assume right. they were kind of an asshole, probably like we're into all of the yeah. club drugs and <laughs> no, no, I, I hated clubs and I hated drugs. I didn't, I kind of did actually. The reason was, uh, I was a you know, child of the eighties, Nancy, uh, Reagan, just say no. Like I remember the cop, the dare cops came to our classroom and like, at least in Kentucky, at least the dare cops were cool. And so I was like, oh, these cool dudes are saying like, and the people I knew, like the adults I knew who did drugs when I was a kid, I mean, um, were losers. They were actual losers, right? And so like, I was like, oh, okay, these cops are kind of cool. And these people doing drugs that I know, not that I knew many, but I knew a few. I'm like, you know, some friend of my mom's or whatever. I'm like, they're losers. So, okay. And like, I totally brainwashed for real. And so I never, ever, not in college. I definitely partied a lot, a lot. But I was a definite like beer and and hot girl I think you know like I wasn't I never did coke I never did uh, ecstasy nothing because like and I didn't like clubs because they're so loud you know like I was I'm not that good looking so I generally had to talk to girls and make them laugh or whatever before they liked me <laughs> I wasn't the type of dude that could walk into a club and girls just like I don't want him like that wasn't me um so I had to uh I had to be funny and smart and it's tough to do that in a club you right. know especially on drugs like I'm <laughs> no way no. no way I mean I think uh, I I don't I think um I guess my thing was drugs was like, I think somewhere in my subconscious knew that they would be a tool for my enlightenment. And so I was always scared of them. Like, I also was like, I'm a one drink wonder. Like I have one martini, I face plan. I love a beer, but it makes me bloated. <laughs> like I like to go to sleep at nine o'clock. Like, I think I was always on this wellness journey, but at the same time, I also, you know, partied and like danced on tables in Miami beach and went to college in Boston. And I was around, I think I was around a lot of cocaine, but it scared me because I can't drink caffeinated coffee. Like it just doesn't work for me. I have too much energy. I yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> no, but in listening, I mean, so Tucker, no, so Tucker, you, you just put out an episode on your new podcast and it basically like, it was so well done and broke down like your experiences with psychedelics, how you don't tell people that they should do anything should is a shame word. I agree with you, but you really went through every single substance, your experience with each one, for the most part, you did almost all of them, um, explaining your experience with them and like the integration process, et cetera. So I don't, we're not gonna spend too much time on that because I think that people can go find how you've laid that out so beautifully, but, um, you know, similar to you, it was like, there was something in me. I didn't even know I had trauma, but I know I, it called me, like it called me and what called me was five MEO DMT to start. And I love that on your recent episode, you were like, this is the strongest shit there is besides Ibogaine. <laughs> Yep. And I had no idea. I had no idea what I was getting into. And similar, like you shared about your experience, it was like so intense and so much for you. Like you said, um, yeah. for me, nothing made sense because I was just like, what the fuck you smoke this, you die. Like Mike Tyson said, it changed his life. Like it's what called me first. And, um, and like, I'm just so curious, like, what's your take on me jumping into that? Like, as opposed to you know, anything else? 
Yeah. So one of the things I've learned is that we all have our own journey, mm-hmm. right? So for me to have an opinion about your journey is kind of just silly, right? Okay. Like I, uh, uh, even if you like, you know, my, like someone I knew really well, like my wife, right? Like I know her really, really well. Obviously we've been together 10 years. We have four kids together. <clears throat> um, even me having a, in her journey, I might have a lot of knowledge about her journey and I might see things she misses. Mm. Um, but having an opinion about it, like meaning like telling her what she should do in a way or having a take, I think is just preposterous. Like she's she, even my, my own wife, she's on her journey. Mm. She's not on my journey and I'm not on her journey. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's appropriate for me to um definitely not to judge but even to evaluate other people's journeys right is not um i don't even think it's that it's just not productive right yeah. like i'm super glad i did not do 5mao first i think it would have been disastrous for me mm-hmm. uh now but that being said i know you're not the only person i know i know a couple a lot of my friends in uh military who who are getting into this a a decent number of them start with 5-MEO and it seems to actually for most of them work pretty well Mm -hmm. um I I I don't know everyone has their own journey that's why I say in the piece like people ask me all the time where should I start and I always tell people I don't say you should I always say for most people 80 to 90 percent of people the most effective place to start is MDMA therapy Mm -hmm. but there are some people that other if you're really called to another substance or um, uh, like uh, you have some certain specific other issues, there are other places to start. And if it works, it works. I mean, you and from the time I first met you to now, you seem so much happier and calmer and more centered. So yeah. it's sort of like, why, you know, like what, why curse the path that's brought you to this place? Cause it seems like a pretty good place. You oh, know? And I it was probably the wrong question. Cause I would say, that it was exactly what I needed. And I think that's what happens because I think that my ego was so strong. I was so built up that, you know, being that I did that first, it blew through anything. And it, it, it left me curious of like, okay, what does all of this mean? I need to keep going. And as you said, the MDMA, like that's what came into my life next. And, um, and since, like you said, you know, you've done 20 plus journeys and, um, and I think like you, it's just completely changed my life. And thank you for acknowledging like my, <laughs> my energy and groundedness, because, um, I feel like I've just rounded this two year bend and not to say that it won't keep going, but for the first time, I think in the last two years, I feel like, a like I can live again. Yeah. Like it was that dark, you know? And, um, I know I get it. Like I, I, from social whatever, there was a lot of sexual trauma, a lot of, uh, mental and psychological abuse. That shit's hard to deal with. Like, Mm -hmm. that's really hard just to face that it even happened. It's hard enough, But, but then to go in and really, um, go back to it in some sense, you know, and, and and feel the feelings that that were coming then that were overwhelming and you have and hide from and or push away to feel them that's man olivia with the first, i thought I, 
the first time I really ever truly got into the the stored up grief I had in me, I thought I was going to die. Mm. I really thought, yeah, subjectively, of course, but I really felt like I was going to die from grief. And it's like, man, I remember even thinking this in the moment. Um, uh, uh, now I see why my body stored this away. <laughs> I can barely handle it as a 45-year-old, successful, strong, smart, emotionally grounded dude. I definitely couldn't handle this at five or whatever, whatever it happened, right? And so, like, yeah, this stuff is is as hard as it gets, you know? Like, yeah. th th there's a reason, like, you, I wasn't this wise, but, like, it, it sounds like you were. I, there are a lot of people I know who had the same issue as you as were, like, they kind of know, oh, man, if I start walking down the path of psychedelic medicine, like, it's going to be profound and I'm not ready, you know? Mm -hmm. I get that. I totally. It's so funny. I know a lot of people who, like, they'll come to me for advice they talk about it. And I'll spend an hour with them. People I know talk about it and then they'll decide not to do it. And then they like won't talk to me for a while because they think I'm going to be mad at them. And then like <laughs> you'll see them at a party or something. And they'll be like, oh, hey, I've been meaning to call you. I'm like, motherfucker, you got a phone. Like, don't tell me that. And so, but then they'll admit, oh, yeah, well, I thought you'd be uh, upset with me or disappointed. I'm like, no, I know what's in your future. It's really hard. If you're not ready, that's cool. This Literally to rush into man no this is I mean, not no exactly and what you said like that that collective grief like and I think it's so it's such a challenge because also I think like you're a public facing person like on a very on a grand scale people know who you are um and you share your journey and then in my you know world like not on you know the same scale but like I'm very open and I had a very like a, a lucrative business in New York city and I've always like been out there. Right. So people know who I am. So then all of a sudden you start sharing these parts of you. Um, and I think part of the grief too, after facing that, because I needed to integrate it, like that's obviously the most important part before starting to talk about it and share it. And then in learning in the past year, after sharing some of it, and I feel very called to continue sharing because I, I think that this stuff is the most um, unbelievable healing work that exists right now. Um, and with that said, I find that because my experiences have been so dark and that my trauma is so deep and that there's so much of it and that I never knew that consciously, but also people never saw me that way, that if I can stand up and be like, yeah, me too, like over and over and over and over again, and, and I'm okay. Right. So like, I feel called to be that way, but at the same time, like you, I didn't know that I was going to be okay. Like, like I think for the past two years, I've just been in such shock and then realized that like, I can do this and then integrating all of this. But in that it's like, you're in, like I said, public facing life. And when you start sharing these parts of yourself, like automatically and like you said so eloquently before like you're not going to judge like I don't look at people and judge at all but I know that people are so triggered by my sharing and there's so much judgment like it's even about them, of course like my cousin said to me yesterday she's like you know people kept asking me why is she telling all everybody about this and it's so funny because I don't tell people so that they can be like so that they feel sad or want to feel anything I said about them you're exactly. talking about your truth for you 
Yeah. Exactly. But I think that that's like, it's so interesting too, because people could look at you and be like, oh, fucking bro culture, hope they serve beer in hell. Now he's talking about healing. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. exactly. A bunch of people do that. Yeah, that totally sure. Yeah. Right. And it's, but it's, I think it, it would, it took me a t like, it took me time to, to stand up and also be, I'm in Colorado. I was, I come here all the time. I run into people from Miami beach, Florida, where I'm from. And I was getting like looks and I was, I had so much shame about it at first because I shared my truth and I felt brave in that sharing. But then I was like, you know, people talk and I finally gave them something to talk about. They've always talked. I finally gave them something to talk about, but it also, it took me another year to be like, I so own this shit. And I'm so grateful that I've not only gone down this path, but I'm also grateful as fucked up as it sounds that I've lived these moments because it's made me who I am. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I will, it's funny. I, I can see this now. It was hard for me to see before, but, um, it's like we live in such a traumatized and traumatizing culture that I think it, it is just the act of, of the act of speaking, recognizing your own truth, just recognizing to yourself that, oh, like I suffered through something or things aren't the way that I thought they were, the way I was told or whatever. Um, that's hard enough. But then to be willing to speak that truth, right, out loud to, it doesn't matter whether it's millions of people or 10 people, because honestly, it's, I, you know, I'll tell you something, Olivia, it's actually easier. I'm saying this to someone, you know, who like, I've written stuff that millions of people have read. It's actually easier to, to do it on stage, mm -hmm. because then it's like not, it's, there's an aspect of that that's harder, because like, oh, tons of people. But if, if that doesn't bother you and it doesn't, it's easier to mm -hmm. do that than it is to like 10 people that you know, right? Like if you're, if you're telling, like speaking about, you know, horrible, difficult, challenging emotions to 10 people that you really know and care about, that's like, that's way harder for me than it is to get up in front of 5,000 people and like talk about the same thing. Yeah. right like that's easy actually because i don't know those like for me at least i don't know those motherfuckers i don't care like what they don't like me like it doesn't matter right like they're like that's not uh it's actually way harder in a lot of ways and 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 what so it's like what you've gone through in a lot of ways i would say is uh, probably harder you know mm -hmm. like because i know the people who who i care about are they're around me i know what they think you know like if some clown's like oh bro culture i don't care who is this person is not a relevant entity to my life, right? Yeah. This And so I, that's why I think a lot of why so many people have, it, they're so, it's, it, that's why no one wants to take this journey. And I get it, man, or very few, even though a lot more are, because it is, it's not just hard to do it, but then really where you go with this, the inevitable place is, I want to speak my truth out loud, right? Mm -hmm. And out loud might just be your family. Or it could just be your family and your social media. Or it could be the world. Or there's a million ways. It doesn't. There's not a right way to be out loud, but um, to speak your to recognize your own truth, accept it, and speak it out loud is extraordinarily challenging 
and anyone who does it now in any degree i have respect for you know like if, if they're actually doing it their truth which is very what most people want to do is oh these people did this and these people are in. okay you point the finger outward it's not about you no i mean i think that's been one of the greatest lessons i've learned and and that goes for everything and i also think what what all of this work has given me is just this opportunity to slow down and experience everything like through yeah. a lens of it's in two, because like I said, this like two year sort of roller coaster. And yeah. I just came out to Colorado and I was like in the mountains, it's like happy place. I know you're on a ranch. Like I just crave to be in nature. And I literally felt like I was on mushrooms. I'm like, my life now feels like I'm like in this sensory place where I can experience living, you know, as opposed to just existing through this trauma lens, through what happened to me without even knowing. And I think the greatest gift, like I said, was this gave me and has given me this new lease on life. Yes. And in this ironic way too, as you said, like speaking to 10 people versus speaking to thousands or whatever, you know, I remember so many parts. And when we, Matt and I took your writing course, I had just started this journey. I had like pulled up my first trauma and I was like, I got to write about it. I was always writing a self-help book, but now it's not a self-help book, it's a memoir. And, um, and through these past two years, it's really been honing in on like, actually it is the story of the flashbacks and going back, but it's not the story of what happened to me. It's the story of like what I can create from this place. And I feel like I finally have that, that privilege and that lens, but in all that, you know, I remember going, flying home for the first time to tell my parents, like the first thing that happened to me. Right. And like the world slowed down and my mom is just like, like robotically eating more chicken salad like in the kitchen because they don't know what to say you know because it was like and my dad is it was just they were in so much pain that I was in so much pain and and then that was the first time and then I flew down again because things kept coming up and the second time and then my mom looked at me and she said now I know why you've rejected me your whole life because I couldn't protect you and so it's just been like I mean I get the chills but in all of this total truth, in all of that, like those were so challenging, but I've been able to then take these vignettes and these moments and write about them and share them to the mailing list I have of like 30,000 people. And just like you said, when it's to that like mass group and writing is different than speaking, but it's freeing. It's just like release, release. Right, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I know that's pretty amazing. You, you just face to face told you. And, and what, how did your parents react to that? I mean, you know, I feel like we might've grown up similarly. I don't know, but I grew up privileged Miami beach, Florida. Um, I have three brothers, family business. My dad's in the meat business, super hardworking, but there was a distraction in the home because everything was about work and everything was about hardship. And um, and I think just as a result of an early trauma from outside my family that happened to me when I was four or five, I became just um, victimized over and over and over again by like my best friend's father in high school, my other friend's stepfather when I was 14. It was just a series of really, really tragic events. and. Um, how did my parents respond? Shock, horror, and also 
denial in a lot of ways, because it's so hard to acknowledge that, like, just like my mom said, like, we couldn't protect you. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And I, I feel like in even sharing this and speaking to this, I, and I know, you know, I'm 35. I really, I know that I'm meant to be a mother. I really want to get married, all of those things. And we've grown a lot in this past year, but, um, you know, I think so much of me sharing has been healing or helpful to parents who are my age, who have kids to be like, Hey, you need to have these conversations with your children. You need to have these conversations with your partner. Like you've known me my whole life. And I didn't know that I was traumatized. You didn't know me as traumatized. Cause I've always shown up as like with it, had it together. Like super most people, yeah. well, here's the thing, most people are traumatized. No, it's it. I'm, I'm telling you, so I, I, I'm going to tell you, this is falls on exactly. The, so, uh, I was, you know, whenever I do my sessions, I always have, you know, a guide, but I usually like to have my wife there as well. Right. Um, just, I'm very, like, we have this type of relationship where, where I don't just love her. I really like her. And we're very, very close, like on a deep primal level. Um, and, uh, um, not I, I not like oh she's my best friend no it's just more, it's more of like a just a, a deep connection right like I feel very very psychically and emotionally safe with her right mm -hmm. and so um and you know and vice versa even when we have like fights it's still like okay this is a fight on top of a rock solid foundation right and so uh so I she's at all my sessions um and uh I remember I did uh one session one time and I, I think it was LSD and MDMA combined. And, and it was towards the end. And I sat up and I looked at her and I looked at the guide and I said, where are all the healed people? Mm. And she was like, what? And I'm like, okay, look, we're, we're like, I'm like, everyone is traumatized. Everyone swims in a sea of constant trauma. And even th this guy is like uh, kind of well-known in the psychedelic circles. And I'm like, even someone like you, like how many people do you know who you would call, you know, mostly healed, but like a high level of, con he, it, it, this person kind of looked at me and they were like, oh, <laughs> I'd never even thought about. And so like, that's what, that's what's so weird about when you start this path, at least for me, is I started this path almost exactly four years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, not, it's not just everything about my life has changed. It's almost like my entire friend circle has had to rotate out, you know, because some people have gone on a, a similar journey. Others stayed where they are. Now, like I'm thinking about someone, a specific person who was one of my best friends five years ago. I don't talk to him anymore. And there was no breakup. It's not like we're angry at each other. If he came over right now, I'd be happy to see him. But he kind of made a conscious decision to stay where he was at his level of consciousness. And like he saw me changing and growing. And it's like, it's like when you know, you kind of have to make a decision, right? Am I am I gonna grow too? Or am I gonna stay where I am and then not hang out with that person anymore? Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's why I think why it's so hard to do this is there are so few people doing it. And there are so few models and everyone around is like still stuck in the, the trauma framework. It's so, it's so imbues everything, right? It's sort of, I can remember, I have a good friend of mine who, 
who started about three, four years before I did. And like now my conversations with him, I'm like, oh, dude, I had like, I remember you telling me this and I thought you were crazy. <laughs> I thought you'd lost your mind. Mm-hmm. No, it turns out you hadn't. You'd found it. And it just took me a while to catch up to you to understand how right you were yeah. about this. And how I mean, much pain I was in without yeah. ever really realizing. And I, I think exactly what you're saying, like energetically, as you shift and grow and heal, everything around you shifts. Like I can imagine yes. your business relationships change. Like even your writing has changed, what you focus on, what you want to share. So like in a relationship, any relationship, friends, romantic, whatever else, like you were talking about your wife, you know, I think that we if you go down this road, you can't remain with people who are not working mm-hmm. towards something. It's And and it's been, well, in my experience, like it's been quite isolating because I think a lot of this stuff you need to take on alone. It's like, it's really, you're integrating all of this stuff. You're changing all this stuff. You're relearning new versions of yourself. And as you change, your friendships change. But I also seek out such different connection in my life now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's 100%. My wife and I, our, almost our entire friend circle has turned over in the last four years. Um, uh, and and I'm, it's not a judgment of any of our friends. It's just like some people have, have taken the journey. Some people haven't. Mm-hmm. And it, last night, a good friend of mine, um, the uh, I don't think that uh, a good, good friend of mine came over for dinner, right? And she comes over all she's moved but she used to come over all the time and had dinner me and my wife and kids and whatever and um my wife after she left my wife said um you were really quiet tonight like you were kind of weird but by by weird she means quiet not dominating the conversation which (laughs) normal and I was like yeah you know it's funny like I don't really have a whole lot to talk about with her anymore yeah and it's not it's not a judgment of, of my friend she's a wonderful person like she's great but like she's kind of stayed on she stayed on her her old path and just kind of kept going and it's like she doesn't want to look at much of anything in her life she doesn't want to think about any of that sort of stuff she just kind of exists at that that sort of level and it's like there was a period in my life where I connected deeply with that Mm. not anymore yeah it's like I don't know there's not but then at the same time, there are all kinds of people that are in our lives now where I'm like, wow, three years ago, I would have thought this person was a loser or a weirdo or a kook. And now I'm like, God, they're, they're like a role model for me, at least in certain areas. And I'm like, they're like huge parts of our lives, mm. you know, and like we like we have amazing relationships. And it, it really it's <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny to think about, like, there's absolutely no way in the world, even even forget 10 years ago, six, seven years ago, you could have told me that I, you're going to be living on a ranch an hour outside of Austin. You're going to love it. You're going to have four kids who are all like great, amazing kids. You're going to build a school three minutes away from your ranch with like, like what are you talking about? Stop this. This is nonsense. Like what is a little house on the prairie? That's not me. I think actually that I read that you were building a school and I, you know, how fucking cool that Tucker Max started in this bro culture. Then he like got into this, you know, work, the psychedelic healing. And now you're like recontributing to like build like a a clearer society. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's to me, I feel so called like I loved in your podcast that I've mentioned that you were talking about starting the integration practice pre-journey. And I have it on my question list, explain. And as we're sitting here, I'm like, wow, I started practicing yoga at age 15. I started boxing at age 20. Every single day of my life, I was, you know, facing myself on a heavy bag, yep. opening my heart on a yoga mat, which yep. led me to create a fitness concept, never taught a class before, started my first studio in November, 2016, painted the walls, hung bags up, convinced people to work for me, no PR, yeah. word of mouth. And for me, it wasn't about fitness, no mirrors. It was literally about face yourself to free yourself, yeah. like feel your fight to find your flow mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. First studio, second studio, COVID closed. When COVID closed my studios, I was forced and also allowed to slow down. And that's when my journey started and in that journey i uh, no, no no that's when you made it explicit that's when i made it explicit right but like in, the, in it started long before then you right, just didn't exactly. realize i guess that's my point so because i i was like tell me about integration pre-journey and now that i'm like man i was working my whole life to get to this place that i was ready to go in like really right. in. Well, so you know it's funny like uh i would i would it sounds to me like you started your integration process years before you started your explicit journey, right? Like with yoga, definitely yoga is great if it works for you. Exercise, of course. And then you made your exercise uh, almost explicitly therapeutic. You're going you're gonna to sit here and face yourself in this heavy bag. <laughs> it's about as therapeutic as exercise can get, right? I mean, that's, it's fun. I, I, I train uh, MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I always, we always talk about this at our school that, you know, unless you're in an actual competition, which a lot of guys at our school actually compete at a, a pretty high level, they're on flow grappling and all this stuff. But unless you're one of those dudes, the only competitor you have is yourself. And that, and that the other, your, your partner who you're rolling with, they are only there to help you compete with yourself. They're your reflection. Versa, right. Yeah. Exactly. It's why it's so funny. Like uh, a, a lot of women I know who, who like, I don't understand fighting. Like they'll watch UFC and dudes even. And, and they'll ask like, I don't understand. These guys talked all this trash about each other before the fight. And then they like spent five rounds, 15 minutes trying to kill each other, mm -hmm. like almost legitimately. And the bell rings and they're hugging and crying. And, and, and they're, like, they're like, I don't understand. I'm like, okay, because you've never fought. Mm -hmm. Why? Like, the, why are they so... Uh, 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 appreciative to each other. I'm like, because what each, what they know, what they feel is that that other guy gave them the opportunity to test their themselves and their metal. And so they love that guy mm. because not because of what he did as a competitor, but because he showed up and pushed enough on them that they got to fully express themselves. Right. And then like, oh, like some people get it. Some people don't. You kind of uh, it's funny. You found that in in a whole different realm, but it's 100 percent true. So when I tell people uh, uh, develop your integration practice ahead of time, it's really 
you as an, you're, you're two years experience. So you probably read my piece a lot differently than most people. I, I tried to write that for people who have no experience. And I tried actually not to go too deep into these things. And the reason why is because I've found most of this is unexplainable ahead of time. Mm. Right. And so like you get now two years in how, how the, oh, wow, this journey started a long time ago and it became explicit here. And now I see how it's all connecting. And the whole thing is about connecting to myself. And you get that. If I told you this three years ago, none of it would have made sense. None of it. You had to experience it. That's true for only everyone. Yeah. And so, so all I'm trying to do in that piece is help people get as ready as possible for a journey that they can't understand until they take it. Mm. And, and and I can't, there's only so much you can ask for someone to do based on, on faith and trust, right? And so that's why I was like, as many of these things as you want to do, start doing. And the other big thing that it gets people used to is they start to understand self-care, mm-hmm. right? And they really start to make it explicit, right? Instead of seeing self-care as indulgence, self-care is now a part of my life. It's a process in my life as yeah. like anything else, paying taxes, going to yoga. These are things I just do, you know, they're part of my life. And then, then you start to do the medicine and then you realize, oh, oh, now I get it. Right. And then it kind of flushes out and you go from there. I mean, 100%. I think even so in talking about like this, the journey and doing psychedelics, just the medicine that shifts your energy, et cetera. But I think, you know, I've always been in a lot of ways, I think um, a trailblazer, but in a way that was like very independent and almost like a lone ranger, a lone soldier, because self-care to me was always my non-negotiable. So it was like 5am, wake up, run, like to church street boxing in Tribeca, looking like a homeless person before yoga. And then I was brand director for a large global hospitality company after culinary school, uh, worked at food and wine, but like, so I was like training for life and then would go and be able to be in a boardroom. My former boss was the president of Merrill Lynch and I was 23, like, but I own my shit because I train myself every day to feel strength and open up and be grounded and humble and feel like the softness of of me, which also gave me the courage to start my own business. But like you said, I didn't start my business for fitness. I was anti-fitness. Fitness to me is like, um, it's, it's therapy, it's feeling. And I also started my studios when fitness became really glamorized. And I was like, no, no mirrors, whatever else. But at the same time, I was speaking from a trauma lens. So like the doors on my studio said, everything you need is inside. This is all branding. (laughs) The first mirror you walked in, there was not in the studio downstairs, face yourself to free yourself. Cause I speak in these like things. And then, um, (laughs) the only other mirror in the bathroom said, uh, messy is sexy. Like this idea of vulnerability and being able to own that. I was teaching and leading from this place of trauma without knowing consciously that I had any. So then when I finally started down this path and yes, I'd been practicing for a while to be, I trained my whole life to be able to then take this medicine and and face my truth. Mm -hmm. But I've realized through these past two years and closing studios is like, I created a modality to literally like, um, to quell, to like placate my fight or flight trauma response. 100%. 
I was gonna. I was wondering if you were gonna get there with this, because if you didn't, I was gonna say, Olivia, you know why you did all this, right? This was a way of avoiding your emotions until you were ready to face them. And you know what's funny? I would bet right now that like your desire to do all the like, let's just take your average day in New York of the things you did. I bet your desire to do those things either is totally gone, or <laughs> it or you still want to do some of those things, but the desire comes from a totally different place. Like, like, the, like how you showed up at yoga in New York is probably fundamentally different than how you showed up to yoga in Austin. Completely. I would guess. Correct? Everything. One yeah. million, everything that I do, because, you know, in so many ways, I started my business because I, I needed to be seen. You know, I need, you know, the social media aspect, the almost like this, this woman boxing sexy in your body. And I was so dissociated from my body. And I mean, it was so great, but I was so dissociated from my body and yet so much more in tune with my body than most people on the, universe, you know, on the planet. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and well, you uh, found the work and you're doing it. So clearly it was, it, it, it's, it came out in like other ways before you like, oh, hold on. Here's a different way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Letter. No, I, I, so Olivia, here's the thing I, I've learned. Everything everyone does who's in a traumatized state is about avoiding their emotions. Mm. And I, I'm talking about myself. Uh, that, that was a hundred percent true for me. And once I realized that, and once I saw it, then you can't unsee it. And so now like, like when someone like you or I look around at what most people do, it's so easy for me to be like, wow. Like you must be in so much pain. Pain. But you must be. And then like I feel even like even like objectively kind of horrible people. I'm still like, God, man, like, yeah, you're doing fucked up and horrible shit and you should probably go to jail, but fuck, you must be in so much pain. I can't what imagine happened to what you? happened to you. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I live in you send me, we live in Texas. We're only three hours from Uval, right? Mm -hmm. And like obviously, man, I there's I, there's nothing defensible to say uh, about someone who takes a gun and goes into a school to hurt children. Like that's so horrible. But the thing I can't help but think about, like, and the, to to look at the other side does not excuse it, right? But the, I can't help but think about how fucking wounded do you have to be to want to go hurt children, right? Which doesn't excuse it at all in any way shape or form which is like that's like the narrative like oh well if you understand it you excuse it no you don't excuse it it's horrible you can you can discern and objectively evaluate this action is not acceptable in any way shape or form but still understand how someone gets there right without and almost have compassion for them without for you can even forgive, but without like having excusing it, right? Or justifying. Um, and that's the thing I was trying to like, listen, if you really want to stop this, yeah, you can have your gun debate. I'm telling you though, like ban guns. Some of these dudes are going to go in there with swords because they're that wounded. The point is taking their anger and their shame and their brokenness and dumping it on other people because they can't suppress it anymore right and mm. like there's almost no one i know who understands and can think that way and so it's like all right well like this is almost not a conversation worth having because there's very few people who yeah. get okay yeah, he's really broken and messed up 
it's also not excusable but let's think about why would someone do this you know and but it's it's you know like and then they're like well hold on that's not like someone who works at a corporation like, yeah it is actually it's just someone who an entrepreneur who's busting their ass to build the great company to overcompensate is, for their lack of self-work they are avoiding their emotions in the same way that a mass killer is the difference is that an entrepreneur is doing it in a way that is positive that that creates at least some benefit and not overwhelmingly negative. And yeah, that's a big difference. But they're they're not the same thing. I'm not trying to say they're the same, but it is at its core, they're still both avoiding their emotions and trying to dump them on other people. Yeah. And I think yeah. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's true. And I also like you mentioned this, you know, but I think if you start seeing through the lens of compassion, because you start holding yourself in that lens. Like I was just hiking up a mountain this morning. And I think there's so much of me that as this coach, life coach, fitness business, whatever else type a, I always was like, you got this, keep going, you know, to myself too. And now it's like, you're okay, baby girl. Like you're good. Like you're okay. There's a lens of compassion. And now I see myself in that lens, like through this, we can call it reparenting. Cause I've needed to learn how to hold myself in all this, particularly because I wasn't held unmet needs all of that shit everybody has that story where they want to say it or not but now that i see as you i mean mass killers it's horrible to say that but like there's such a depth of wounding in in in, i mean in everything and you just i think that i mean i don't know if you said this or not i'm sure you have but like if we could get to the root of everybody's shit and have them face themselves to free themselves find a way no 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 if 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 a, if a way for them to get to their own root existed, right. I can't do it for them. Like, I, I, just, no, okay, I'll bring this around. This is going to sound a little severe. It, it, if I was in, if I just happened to be in Uvalde and I had a gun, I would have shot that dude dead and not blinked about it and had, had no qualms about it at all, right? And I still would have had compassion. Like, man, this sucks, but I have to kill you because you're going to go kill children and that's not going to work, right? Like, but no, I, but I, I, this is a very important point. Not if we can do it. If, if, if they can do it, right? Like, I, I, this is, at least for me, this is one of the big things because I know one of my issues is I always try to save people. I know it probably sounds weird. I was like, Tucker Max tried to save people. If you know me, um, I, I cannot tell you how much energy I have wasted trying to save people. And it does not work. And not only does it not work, you know why I do it? Because it's a way to avoid my own shit. If I'm busy saving you, Olivia, then I don't have to face my stuff. I don't have to do my stuff because I'm a hero because I'm saving you. Yeah. Nah, that's avoidance. At no, its but, core, that yeah. is avoidance. But even the first thing you said uh, in the podcast was like that this work is about really exercising your own autonomy, right? And I think, and exactly you're saying, you know, we can't do it for them. And just like you said about saving people, and I mentioned my recent relationship, you know, there was a part of me as a healer of taking something on and holding it and staying with it, like, you know, mother figure, as opposed to which also was a huge growing process because it allowed me to experience coming out of this darkness in the example of intimacy and 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 being feeling safe with a man because I had had so much trauma that I never did. So I learned and grew through so much of it, but at the same time, 
when it gets to a place where you're just holding someone and it's not, you're giving more than you're getting, then there's an off balance and, and it doesn't work. Right. Totally. 100%. It, I, and I mean, in, in that same vein, but different, the way that the 5-MeO DMT that I did in Janice Joplin's old apartment, like as my first experience turned into doing MDMA and psilocybin five days later, because yeah. I was so confused about the first journey. I was like, I got to go figure this out. But yeah. that only came into my life because the man that I was dating at the time, who is like 15 years older than me, 20 he grew up in wartime Lebanon and he is on the board of maps and he was using MDMA for his PTSD. And the first time we were intimate, he said to me, did something happen to you? And I looked at him and I was like, I was so defensive. I was like, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, right. Like, what are you talking about? Like, no, yeah. I just wasn't ready. Women like feel pressure and we do, you know, and, and, um, and all of that was true. And at the same time, it was still it was a defense. Def the best defenses are true, Olivia. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, but so that was two years ago now led me down this path. So healing all of that, but it took me until about like, I would say four months ago to actually acknowledge and admit to myself that even two years ago, I was bypassing myself in that relationship and going through the motions and allowing myself to be taken advantage of as a 33 year old grown ass woman. But that's mm -hmm. the lens of trauma, you know? And we, then we keep recreating our trauma until we heal it. Yeah. That That is, I cannot tell you how many times I've said that to my wife, like, uh, or, or she to me, like, uh, like we'll be in an argument, usually not in the middle of the argument, although sometimes it'll happen, but like, 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 we'll have to be like, all right, what am I, what am I, what am I bringing to this? That is my shit. Mm. Right. And then like, and then both people for it to really work, both people have to, but I don't have to have her figure her shit out for me to figure my shit out. You know, like that is even as some, someone who's gone as far down the path as I have, I still, that's, I do the exact same thing. In fact, it might be harder. Like it, it's, it's gotten harder now because like I'm at the stage now where it's like most of the stuff left is, is either really deep yeah. um, or it's such an ingrained behavioral pattern. I may have cleared out. I've faced all this stuff, but like I, st I haven't really truly retrained my nervous system um, or my inner child. Because you kind of can put those together. My nervous system slash inner child to really accept, hold on, we're actually safe here. I don't need this anger right now. Like it's not going to serve me here. I I get why you were angry for 45 years for this situation cuz you needed it etc. Don't need it anymore. We're good. Right? Like that it that's still um man, that's still a deal. <laughs> it's still it's still it's still hard to kind of really unpack those things as they're happening. You know what I'm saying? Like and and then but the difference is now I get okay Today, this morning, I got so mad at the dogs, man. They were fighting over their food. And I'm like, yelling. I'm like, why are you guys fighting? Like, what the hell's wrong? I'm like, all right, hold on. What the fuck am I doing? Yelling. Like, I'm screaming, screaming at the dogs. Like, what is wrong with you dudes? Mm. Like, what are you doing? Right. All right, take a step back. Let's feel through this. What's going on? Something is triggering you, and it's not the dogs. Right? All right. And then I had to unpack it. 
oh, it's exhausting. But then it's like, I kind of got to the root. It was like, oh, all right, dude, I can chill. I'm all right. I mean, it's so powerful at the same time. And I think that goes back to your acknowledgement of like your relationships have changed and your relationship with yourself has changed. But like, if you're having these conversations with yourself and you could say, oh, I see what's triggering me. Oh, I'm projecting this. Like, I mean, it's constant self-talk, but I found that if I'm around people that aren't on that or in that or can understand that and they're not doing the same thing, then it's this constant judgment, projection, pointing out like, or like coming back at me. And it's just like, they're not, they're not here. They're, they're in the subject. You don't have to accept that though. You know that, even though they're putting that out, you know, like, this is a thing I've really just kind of learned last year is that obviously the ideal situation is you're not hanging out with people who are at that conscious level, right? Sometimes you kind of have to, for various reasons, you just come. What I've learned is I don't have to accept any of that. Like I, in fact, this is, this has been a, a very new, I haven't talked about this anyway. It's been a very new finding for me is like, as I've healed more and more and more and got deeper, I realized like, I'm actually very sensitive. Like, I didn't think I was sensitive at all. And it turns out I just had a thick layer of callus over the sensitivity because I didn't know how to deal with that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as I've healed, I, f- I found uh, someone who's helping me with a specific sort of thing. And they're like, no, I think you're very sensitive. Your job now is to really understand what part of what you're feeling is yours and what's theirs. And so I've really gotten into that. And like, now, now I can see it. Like, like my friend who came over last night, like she's very anxious. And like, I just made the decision ahead of time. I'm not going to take any of her anxiety. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to respond to it on a deep level. And so it was like, this. anyone who hasn't done medicines, I know this sounds really kooky, but like, um, and so that's part of why I think we almost, we didn't connect because it's like, I didn't take her anxiety and our relationship before had essentially been me taking on her anxiety and processing it for her, Mm -hmm. right? And so there was almost no level of communication anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, does that make sense? I bet you're similar. Of course. Oh, no. I mean, because also being sensitive, but also like that sensitivity, I believe is a lack of boundary. And unless you, you really create that boundary, you do take on everybody else's emotions. And I started feeling it so intensely. Like I would get off the phone with a coaching client and an hour later, I would be lashing out about something or really upset. And I'm like, holy shit, this isn't mine. Yeah. So I like, I I can say I'm speaking to you as a dude, 10 years married to an amazing woman. And we're, I mean, I can't imagine us ever not being together, but even if we didn't at some point, it'd be, this has still been amazing. Four kids, 10 years. And uh, I can tell you, I had three relationships in a row prior to her Mm -hmm. that uh, I thought were wrong or bad or, you know, like all that judgmental nonsense. Looking back, it's clear as day. To look, it's like, oh, I needed each one of those to learn a very specific lesson to get me to the point where I was ready to meet her. And I was the sort of man she would want. And I was ready to meet the woman I would want. By, you know, like, yeah. Uh, so, I so, no, I like, so believe that. But, you know, it's funny to even speak about that because as I'm looking at your site or whatever, I was, you know, watching your podcast and I didn't realize that you wrote a book called Mate. And I'm so yeah. curious. Yeah. Like, It's mainly for dudes. It, like it, it, if you read it, you'd be like, yeah, this is all obvious. Why don't like, but it's not, none of it's obvious to dudes. None of it. Like I, I it was years ago, about a, I don't know, eight years ago. I partnered up with like one of the big evolutionary psychologists and like essentially 
the goal for us was we want to teach young guys uh, how to be attractive to women. Because I know tons of dudes who are awesome guys. They just don't understand how women think and they don't understand how to actually become the type of man uh, even though they could be they just don't know they don't understand like basic things like like safety right like most dudes have no concept of the fact that most women feel very unsafe around dudes they don't know right and like that whole idea is almost unthinkable to a guy right they just don't even it doesn't even occur to them yeah. that like the 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 difference in size and the all the it's just never in their head, right? So like so much of women's behavior, uh, like it's just nonsensical to a dude because they're thinking from a position of like, why would I feel unsafe around somebody, right? <laughs> and so like, like, so the most of the book is, is stuff like that that's explaining the unspoken, untaught things to younger and autistic type dudes who need things very explicitly spelled out for them. Right. Um, uh, it's almost like, you know, like it used to be the you know the idea like if you're a young dude like either your dad or you have a cool uncle uncle who kind of teaches you all the things that that so we kind of wrote the book that the 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 good dad or the cool uncle would write mm-hmm. yeah interesting yeah I mean my boyfriend was the first guy that I lived with really ever ever because I again I was coming from a trauma lens like uh, my yeah, first serious boyfriend when I was 15 yeah. I didn't really understand why I dated him I dated him for five years. I, I applied early decision to Boston University because he was older than me and he was in college in Boston. Like there was nothing conscious about it. When I asked the medicine in one of my journeys, why? It was because the first, my first trauma experience was with somebody, the same name, same birthday, different year than my first boyfriend. Talk about, oh, wow. I yeah. went straight back. So my whole history dating has been, and this is, I think where there was sadness my whole romantic history has been going back to somebody, a doppelganger of a perpetrator. Someone who, yeah. We repeat our trauma until we, uh, we repeat our our injuries, our our woundings until we heal our trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, yeah. Uh, I mean, but to that extent, it was just like, and every time I've had a journey and I've probably done like 13 of them in the past two years, my two year anniversary is September 5th. Um, And every time I did one of these journeys, it would literally just feed me. Well, this happened because like of this person or you dated him because of this experience. And it was just like, here, here, here. Um, So that's been just like, so awakening. And at the same time, as I said, first time cohabitating with this boyfriend, first man I really felt safe with, but also in the cohabitation and this reflection, this mirror image of someone you're always also living with and who triggers you and it's not about them, it's about you and pointing out whatever. It was the first time I really understood, and I have three brothers. The first time I really understood that men and women do not think we are not the same being. No, of course not. They do not understand. We do not understand. It is so different every part of it but also back to my fitness concept box and flow like yin yang masculine feminine dark light you know like opposition duality sides of self like even if someone's a man someone's a woman like we can take on this polarizing you know role like someone can be in the masculine the feminine like depending on the energetic exchange um so there's you know there's like there's a blur there's things that don't make sense and also understanding because 
to the, to an extent, like I, I excelled professionally. Like I overcompensated by doing, I defined my self-worth based on my accomplishments and dating. It was one failure after the next or one lesson after the next, because emotionally I was so immature, you know, because I was so wounded. Um, mm -hmm. but and I always like chose men who didn't chose, you know, the unavailable, whatever, all this nonsense. My point being that cohabitating, it was the first time I really understood that like, we're not the same, <laughs> but like- well, I've I, I lived with a woman for 10 years. I could say, I could say that's absolutely true. Yeah, it, 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 it's a hundred percent in all ways. Well, that's, I mean, listen, you now you know two things for a fact. You can be safe with a man if you pick one correctly. Right. And uh, men and women are not the same. And you got to understand and account for some of the, there's certain things in my wife. I just like, okay, this is just how she's going to be. I got to decide, am I cool with this or not? And most of the time, yeah, it's like uh, that's small annoyances, right? But like, oh yeah. Now there are times where I'm like, how do you not see this? And she's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's just, we're just different species and beings i mean i, I can just straight up like i think using uh uh sort of whatever you want to call it uh martial arts in the broadest sense the training is fantastic for healing trauma absolutely as, as long as you know that's what you're doing right if you approach this from a i'm gonna go at this to face myself and to deal with my shit great if you're using it to avoid that stuff which you can then it's not so good it really just depends on how you come at it but, and if you I mean, know I train martial arts, so i'm with you yeah. <laughs> But I, can I tell you, uh, I'm a, this sounds woo-woo, but because you've done enough work, you'll believe it. I'm telling you what, what I, in fact, you know what, I'm going to, I wrote like a 9,000 word piece about how I met my wife, what I did to meet my wife. And I have not um, published it yet. Hmm. Uh, if you, I'll send it to you if you want, like you're oh. more than like, I'm, and then I think I'm gonna do a podcast about it. Like I'm gonna do an episode about it because I know so many people like you who are just awesome people who are like ready, but they don't actually, there's a big gap between being ready and meeting that person, even though it's not big, there's just a couple, it's like one of those things where it's like, there's just a little thing here and a little thing there and it's boom, you know, like, uh, I'm gonna send that to you. Send it to uh, DM me. Thank you so much, Tucker. Of course. See you later.